0: I've had a thought tonight and uh, it's, it's simply the voice. And I don't think this will be the first time tonight that I will speak about this. You can call it a lot of things in the scripture, but there's some few very significant places where it uses that description of God as the voice. And of course we know him in John 1, 1, the word. Uh, we know of him as the Holy Spirit speaking into our life. Uh, the written word you know, to us, instructing us many, many different ways. And I've heard enough testimonies in the congregation from the time I've been with y'all to know you know the voice of God. You know his spirit. And you believe in the work of the sanctification of the word of God in your life, making you that witness to the world. And so all these things that relate to God demonstrating himself to us are all part of those things. And that's part of it. We get to share in the glory of God because we can comprehend and hear. And we're in a state right now that I think that there's a lot of discouragement among Christians, but folks, we have a lot of things to be encouraged over. I see more people pulling away from mainstream religion and seeking and desiring the voice of God. They want something genuine, they want something real. But I want you to know, just as there is a voice of God, there are many voices in the world. And they're the voices of men influenced by Satan. He has his confusion. He has his conversation in the world. Now, I want you to think about this. Once you get past the known world that we have influence over and where our satellites are making all this noise out there, supposedly killing off all our bees and everything, you get beyond that and the influence of man, and there's only one voice in the universe, and that's the voice of God. Having said that, all creation recognizes the voice of God, they are not confused. The Bible tells us that if we do not cry out and give him glory, if we do not honor him, the very rocks would cry out. The animals know who they're created by. One of the most profound testimonies I ever heard was by one of my members, and and, and he was a simple man, but boy, he could be profound at times. And he talked about sitting at breakfast, meditating with God, and that began by a little bird perching on the seal, singing his little heart out. And he said simply, yeah, you know who made you. And you're rejoicing. Folks, that's what I desire for each and every one of you tonight. To sing in the rejoicing of the knowing the voice of God and his goodness. And I want you to be encouraged tonight. I want you to be so encouraged by the voice and presence of God. And by the way, I don't know if you felt it, but it was heavy this morning. The presence of God with me i know he was here sometimes we cannot be where we need to be and we don't feel the presence of god can we do that yes we can sometimes he makes himself so mighty that no one can deny his presence if he desires to but we can get so far from god that we're looking around at all the witness of it but we don't feel it and that's a sad place to be and us preachers get there too sometimes i don't get it you know they seem to be enjoying themselves. are they right But there's that witness. I want you to read, if you'd like to, with me a little bit in the 46th chapter of Psalms. And I I want to read this as an encouragement to you. I want you to know that we as the people of God, we, we are entitled to some privileges knowing God that the rest of the world can't ever know. And I want you to know, we, and I want to remind you, we are sojourners in this world. We're pilgrims. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We've been taken from this worldly, vile, uh, fleshly kingdom, and we've been put into a spiritual kingdom with God. That's where we reside. That is our home. And folks, being in that place should make us very sensitive to the voice of God. We should be pursuing Him. Our desire in prayer is not to say, well, i got to please God, so i got to go pray this morning. i got to put in my due diligence. i got to read my devotional. No, say, God, I need to talk to you for a while, but more importantly, I need you to talk to me. I need to hear you today. It doesn't have to be right now, but I need to, you to guide me and show me I'm on the right path, that I'm going where you would lead me that you would use me and that you would be manifest in my life, that you would bring me in the way of some soul struggling and seeking truth and seeking knowledge of God. And folks, what better way than him to use us? He chose us as these vessels to be an honor and glory to him and manifest these truths. So the 46th chapter of Psalm, God is our refuge and strength of very present help in trouble. Who wouldn't want to talk to a God like that who wouldn't want to hear a God like that? Every day we get up, and if we're going to our job, we're wondering, I wonder if so and so is going to be there. I wonder if they're going to throw their little antics. I wonder if this customer's going to give me a bad day. I wonder if the computer system's going to work, if it's going to fail on us again. I hope the kids get off to school okay. See all the troubles we make up in our mind. And we've got a God that's there to help us. You know, I heard a young woman that suffered with ADHD very severely knows the Lord. She said, I'm always thinking I need to ask God for peace. I already have peace. He put it in me when he saved me. All I have to do is call upon him and he's there. Do we forget that? We forget how common our experience with God really is because of who he is. And I don't mean common in a, a military kind of way or any kind of way of insignificance. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we make it common in our mind. Folks, it is not uncommon. It is the most powerful thing that man has ever known to be in relationship with the Almighty God who spoke all of this in existence. But before, as was spoken this morning by Brother Ben very proficiently, <laughs> looked that he was mindful of us, that he loved us before we were. He made that decision before he ever decided to create us who we would be to him and who he would be to us. Aren't you thankful for that? Yeah. You know, there's one thing that I wanted in my life. Luckily, I wasn't born deaf. I was almost mute. I couldn't speak plainly until I was about hmm, 10 year, uh, nine years of age. <laughs> and I'll tell you a little bit about if the Lord gives me opportunity. But I love to hear. And sometimes when you're little, you call out mom, dad, and all you need to do is hear their voice. My grandparents, the same way, had wonderful, loving grandparents and great-grandparents. I had a lot of problems in my life at a young age. But I'm so thankful they were there. But they could only take me so far. And I'm thankful they pointed me to the Lamb of God. Because He took over where they could not. But look as we read here. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed... (laughs) and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Have you ever been in such a state and place with God? You feel like your whole uh, pending of what you understood your world to be, the structure of it was literally crumb, crumbling beneath you, and you didn't know what to do? Had it a few times in my life. One of those times was when my baby sister was diagnosed with leukemia, 24 years of age. I loved her. She and I were very close. I felt like God gave her as a gift to me very late in life. I was 11, 12 years old when she was born. She was very spiritual, very mature young woman, but really never knew what she was supposed to do in this world, but she was faithful to God. I got a call one morning at work. One of my co-workers, who never really was very attentive to me, tried to be her friend, but didn't always feel like she was my friend, Brother Ben. But she said, Steve, your sister's on the phone. And she was very insistent that I needed to come take that phone call right then. And she didn't know the whole story yet, but she knew it was important. And she was at the hospital. She'd been sick some time, and they had just diagnosed her in the emergency room that she had leukemia. She lived nine months. Y'all know what we talk about when we talk about loss. It's real. It's part of our human experience. And God knows it, and yet he loves us through it anyway. It's not his desire for us, but he knows that we will come to know and love him more and depend upon his voice when we go through these trials than when we don't. I'm sorry I can't help but get emotional when I talk about my God, because he is real to me. He's carried me through tough times in my life. I've lost people that I love very dearly, all all of us have, unexpectedly. She was a great witness in her life. She taught me a lot, even as a minister, you know, uh, 13 years her senior. I watched her relationship with God as she leaned on the Lord through her illness. And her only great regret, she wanted to have children. She loved my three nieces dearly. She wasn't going to be able to have that because of the treatment that she had. She was still hoping and hanging on, but Lord, if not, not your will for me to live. Let me live my life graciously. She was such a witness. The nursing staff told me, Steve, she waits for you every night to come in when she's in the hospital. And she's going through a lot of pain, and the medications aren't working, the treatments aren't working. But still, she doesn't want to talk about herself or her pain. She suffers through it quietly. She's a real witness of God, and she wants to know all about us and our children. And she knows all our names and all our children's names and our husbands' names. And she knows just where to start the conversation out where she left. They had a memorial up to her after she died there at the hospital. They even moved it when they went to their brand-new building in oncology. We would run into the nurses and the doctors all over the city, my sister, myself, different extended family members that went to visit her frequently, and they'd say, Oh, you're Steve, Clarissa's brother. And that witness of God that she left behind just become greater and greater. And the thing that I began to realize is that the voice of God spoke to her through her, to these people, and made God real to them. I believe many come to know the Lord that didn't know him. And it opened a door of opportunity for those that were believers and the doctors. And she had a wonderful doctor, research doctor. And he loved her dearly. And the witness that opened for them. But as we read in this, through the waters thereof, Roar and be troubled. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. (laughs) That's a musical connotation. Repeat. Some things are just so good and so true, they need to be repeated. Folks, you know, when we say amen to truth and we say yes, we're saying repeat. Repeat. When your preacher makes an adamant truth about your God that you know, and you know his voice, and you hear his voice, let's not be silent. Let's raise our voice and say yes, and let's say amen, and let's rejoice. It doesn't have to be something crazy, but if you feel it, maybe (laughs) it needs to be. Yeah, we're so proper and prim. I'm glad God doesn't love us like that. I love you, but keep your distance over there. He's passionate. He's compassionate. He's glorious. And we need to act like he's that kind of person. When we come around someone we really love that has one of those personalities, they're bigger in life, it just makes everybody feel loved and just probably has a triple dose of that love, you know, talent and ability, and you just want to be with them and they make everybody want to be with them. Do you go like this to them? No, you know they're not going to accept that. You open the arms and you get ready. Why don't we receive our God that way? I did to my grandparents. Did you? To my parents still. That's living. And so with this picture that the psalmist is teaching us here, uh, it's a beautiful picture. It looks like all calamity, but this is us going through the calamity to a God who is faithful to us. And by the way, his voice speaks something very dear to me. He speaks my name. He makes me to know I'm his child. When his peace came into my heart, and I was trying to understand what that was, and I tried to respond, and once I understood in clarity that was not the voice of Satan trying to deride me, but that was truly God speaking to me. And calling my name I can't tell you what it is yet but it's a new name I know it one day he's going to call me by that new name it's written in the Lamb's Book of Life I believe that it's recorded but wondrous wondrous and then it goes in the fourth verse there is a river (laughs) what a simple little statement but how big it is there is a river and the streams wherever shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. I want you to think for just a minute. River is always represented. Elijah spoke about it. Uh, it's in many places, but it, it, it represents the grace of God flowing and overflowing, consuming us. The one tell we have it is that it started out just a little bit on his feet and his ankles, and he kept wading out further and further and further until it consumed him it Was a mighty river. Folks, by the voice of God and his leadership and his movement of life in us, grace is extended. A lot of times just by us be obedient to the voice, doing the thing that we know he's called us to, being cognizant of his voice, it starts as a little trickle and then it becomes a stream and as we obey and keep stepping forward in his grace soon it becomes a mighty river and folks those people we've been praying for for a long time that seemed almost hopeless now it's so palpable that the power of god just may transform their life because we're standing knee deep waist deep and overflowing in the grace of god This witness of him in our life is magnificent. John spoke about peering into heaven from a little opening. And you know what he was greeted with? The voice of God. God in all his magnificence of heaven, when John the Revelator, if you want to call him that, was peering in, seeing things that weren't meant for him yet. He didn't know if he was there fleshly or if it was a vision. He didn't know. But he knew what he heard and what he felt and what he saw. Amidst all the great glory of God and his thundering voice, and the Bible mentions Revelation, his voice is like many waters. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls or Victoria Falls or anywhere like that in the world? It's thundering. It is powerful. It is majestic. It is magnificent, the presence and work of God in our life and what he can bring us to. What we can know, and it's really sad in Christendom that we have gotten so polluted from that connection with God and his voice, the work of his spirit in our life that, we, well, that's just for Sunday morning when we go to church. That's just for the really faithful that meet out in our little Bible study and we're rejoicing in the word. No, it's for us every day, every moment, every week, every month. It should consume our weeks and our lives and our days and our nights. And it's a work. It's a project. We, we, we have to discipline ourselves to come into expectation and that kind of relationship with God. You know, people ask, I wish I could be like this brother. We, we had a famous preacher that I grew up with. Um, you may have heard him mention his name was brother Nathan York, Nathaniel York. He was a descendant of the famous Yorkman that, that you see the movies about that uh, was a preacher later in his life and was a a conscience objector. I believe that was in World War I. But Brother Nathan had a triple measure of love. He could always remember your name. He would work so hard on that. And if he couldn't, he was very apologetic, but he wanted to make sure he got it right. And he was just the epitome of God's love. He was a wonderful evangelist. And Brother York didn't really care too much about what you thought about him, but he really cared about what you thought about his God. He was one of those men that couldn't hold back he would preach he'd be called to ask and dismiss a prayer and he prayed beautiful prayers but he would end up preaching and he would be all over the church house back and around and everywhere there's one thing that you knew brother York was with the Lord you had no doubt about it you didn't call on him to pray benediction because he wasn't done praising the Lord yet and serving him you were going to be there another hour and then everybody else would be stirred up and they would start praising the Lord and witnessing and telling their testimonies. And then you'd be there another two hours. There have been in many services with him that started at six or seven o'clock and we didn't get out of the church house. You could always go whenever you wanted to, but it was so good nobody wanted to leave. When the presence and might and voice of God is that heavy that you just bask in it. It doesn't have to be anything magnificent going on. It's just the old, old story of Jesus Christ and us in love with him, and him in love with us. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Place, people, please desire to dwell in the place of the Most High. Desire that in your life whether it be in your home, in your basement, in your car, when you're traveling, when you're praying for your children or your spouse or whoever it might be, say, God, I want this to be a place where I'm in your presence and hear your voice, and I'm in your holiness. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. Who is he speaking of? He's speaking of his elect. His church, his body, his little remnant that love him and serve him. Folks, we're supposed to look very different from the rest of the world. We're supposed to act and think very different from the rest of the world because we have a relationship and something they cannot understand and do not know. If it is diminished, it's because we diminished it. Because we decided it should be small, but it should be great in our life. Let's get back into this language. In the midst of her, did you hear that? God's right in the middle. We often think, well, God's kind of with our church. He's a little bit out here on the outside. Folks, he's right in the middle. You just can't hear him. You can't see him. You're not desiring. We're made in the image of God in several different ways. But one is that we have the ability to choose and desire God. Yes, he first chose us. He first loved us. He intended that all, none should perish, but all should come to newness of life. But we get to choose to seek him. And after we found him, to desire him and live and have our life and being in him. And she shall not be moved. Nobody can move us from this place with God and his intention and desire for us. Nobody can do that. We allow that to happen. We were singing the song, I shall not be moved. It's not a good thing to sing at the the beginning of an invitation. I've had that done before. But we should not be moved from the presence and work of God in her life. I don't think you sisters would do that. But anyways, I've seen it happen. (laughs) God shall help her and that what right early. What does right early mean? You know, you ever got up in the morning and you're trying to figure some things out and you you need to call someone to get an answer to what your day's going to look like and how to go forward and you're just really frustrated because you're all ready to go and you're waiting on everybody else. I'm going to tell you what, you're never too early for God to ask for his help or for him to come on the scene and help you in a situation or be with you and hold your hand. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. Now this is God and this is the power of him. This is talking about those things that trouble and beset us, by the way. I want you to look at this word. He uttered his voice. Folks, as easy as he can move into our life and calm the storm and calm the voice within the child, as great as that witness is in our life, he can end all of our troubles like that. And I want you to look what it says. The earth melted. Folks, there's nothing that he's created that is not under his command. I'm telling you, I I serve a little church that the Lord led me to, and I thought, Lord, is that really where you want me? And it's not because I was, well, maybe I was, a little prideful. God, you're going to send me there. But I just hadn't really thought about them in that way. I loved them, great and wonderful people. They're struggling. It's an aging church. It's small. But you know, one thing God showed me Son, if I want to, I can make every road in this city lead to the front door of this church. I can reconstruct it by having power over the minds of men to my purpose, and I can lead you out of there. We get so tied up in physical things. It must be this building. It must be like that. Our worship must be like that. Folks, the only thing it must be is that we hear the voice of God and that he leads us. And folks, when he leads us away from what is familiar with here, and your pastor talked about that this morning, taking those things that are difficult, those things that aren't familiar, and trying them on. Folks, that's how we grow. And one of the problems with the church today is we want to be comfortable. We want everything to come into our life and make it like it's always been and have our comfy pew and the temperature be set just right at the church and have no disturbances and not be violated by anyone out in the world. Does that look like the early church? not at all matter of fact i've said for a long time i think every church should have fake wheels on every corner of their building to let them know that they're a moving church <laughs> that god doesn't always intend for you to stay in the same neighborhood maybe you've done all the work that god wants for you to do in that neighborhood maybe you're not even supposed to have a building maybe he's just going to lead you like he did the children of israel you know and you are just meet in different buildings and different homes and, and, and god could do something mighty he could do something mighty I would rather be interested in seeing what God can do with me and with his church than that what anybody in my congregation, no matter how much confidence I have, or my pastor or anyone else, as he's already said tonight, I would rather see what God could do. We read his word. Do we believe it? The Lord of hosts is with us. Listen to the significance of this the Lord of the great witness of God, the army of God, the fullness of God, all that He has created to His service. What is it? Is with us. Somehow or another, we put Jesus back up on that little cross and that's all the bigness He ever gets. Folks, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was God. The Word was with God. And the Word was with God. I may have that reversed a little bit, but you get the gist of it. Is that real? Is it true? The God that created and spoke all these things, which I believe was Jesus Christ, represented in the three. I believe the Holy Spirit was what breathed upon the waters and formed everything. But Jesus was crucial in the speaking of that. He laid that role down as God, creator, designer, healer, and he became a little lower than the angels, and he became a servant for you and I, that we might be able to even esteem that God could make himself so low to come in human form, the great and holy and mighty God. I'm Ministering to a young woman in our Bible study right now. And she has a problem with her religion of understanding how God, the great and holy God, the mighty God, could come down and live in a sinful human being. And that sounds strange to most of us growing up around Christianity here in our old life, but it's a very odd concept to her. But you know what the hope is? Is that not only is she studying the Word of God and trying to figure all this out, but she's seeing the witness of God in those around Him whose Word is written upon the table of her heart. And she's excited by it. And so pray for her. I pray that she becomes a child of God soon, if not already. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I want you to think about this prominence to the remnant of the children of Israel that was pictured through Jacob. Folks, there is a promise to us. When it, the scripture speaks of Jacob, specifically it's speaking to his body, his church. We are that today. And God has promises to us. He is, uh, what does it say? It is our refuge again and again and again. And so what does refuge look like? Many years ago, when I was in Washington, Illinois, and I had only been there a few months, and uh, everybody's phone started going off in the church. Weather warning. And it was so loud and noisy that we all started pulling out our phones. The, the pastor was talking. They were, they were looking. And we were probably in Sunday school still at that time. And uh, we made the choice to go downstairs And as they were tracking it. We had three tornadoes all heading directly toward our little church. And I got such encouragement because the kids came out of Sunday school and they were quoting the promises of God that they had been taught and heard. Some of them knew the Lord. They had such confidence in their Lord that He was going to take care of them no matter what. Lord had changed my message on the way to church that morning. And I prepared in the basement. We're going to go to our service. What else are we going to do? If God lets it destroy us, let us go out rejoicing and praising God. Let us be a witness to him. And my message changed to be hidden in the cleft of the rock. It was so appropriate for what we were going through. Not one tornado hit that little church building. It destroyed 1,500 homes leveled them to the ground and destroyed about another 3,000. There were two or three deaths. But every one of those tornadoes moved a different direction around that little church building. God preserved us. Folks, we don't know how many times a day that God is our refuge and preserving us. Going down the road... So many. We can't even count. One of these days we're going to get to glory and he's going to share with us some of the things he's done for us. And boy, that's going to be a good time of rejoicing. We know he loves us. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what designations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow. And cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Folks, all the things are made to come against the people of God he has consumed. Be still and know that I am God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Be still and know that I am God. Have you ever noticed that <clears throat> when you're too busy you can't hear And you can't see, and you can't acknowledge what's true right in front of you. A lot of us drive that way. It's pretty scary. It happens, doesn't it? I have one of these minds I was sharing with Ben where I can be thinking about five or six things, which isn't as good as I get older because some days I found recently I'm I'm playing a one-string instrument when I'm trying to play six. But I want you to think about this, to be still. Be still to purposely shut the world out and say, this is my time to acknowledge my God. And it says, conditionally, and know that I am God. So we have to come to that understanding, that fruition, that no matter what it is, we say, God, I don't know what your purpose and intention is this, but I trust you. I trust you. That's how you get still. To start talking to God about how you trust him. Do you know what music that is to his ears? That's all he ever wanted us. To be able to give us the very best that he has in his son Jesus Christ. That gave his life for us. That we might fully know our God. And his purpose and intention us. I will be exalted among the heathen. And I will be exalted in... What? When we do that, he will be exalted among the heathen. He will be exalted in the earth. Folks, it doesn't look like the big glorious thing that we think had to happen. It just had to come to us in acknowledgement of who he is and desiring that to be demonstrated to us because we got still and we proclaimed, what? And I know and know that I am God. Well, what is to know that someone is God? It's not to head knowledge It's a personal knowledge of the spirit that God has placed within us, that we know him. I want to ask you tonight, do you know how to be still? I'm going to tell you what, you can't be still unless the peace of God has been delivered to your heart. You can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. But when you know the peace of God, you can be still. That's what he's talking about. And you can know that he's your God. And he will be exalted among the heathen. He will be exalted among those who are your enemies, those who dislike you, those that you've tried to love and won't love you back. No wonder Jesus said, love your enemies. And I will be exalted in the earth. Folks, if we ever need God exalted in this earth, in this nation, it is today. And when are the people of God going to be revived in desiring and seeking the voice of God and his presentation in our life and its witness and us living and being consumed in the knowledge and work of God in our life? That's sanctification. That's being set apart to his holiness. In the uh, Hebrew, it simply means this, to be engraved in or cut into. What is being cut into us? The truth and witness of God. And so it goes from this point of, yeah, I know a little bit about God. I have a little knowledge of Him. I've been in Sunday school. I know He loves me. And then it goes to this place of understanding. And now our house is not only built soundly, but now it's starting to be furnished. But it's not enough. A nice house with some nice furnishings doesn't make a home. When that truth of God truly gets cut into us, into the fiber of our being spiritually, and our flesh is mortified and brought into subjection that we no longer do what we want, but we do what our Heavenly Father wants, what He desires of us, then it becomes a home. And then it becomes glorified. It becomes a statute or a precept in our life. And that's how people know that we're with God because they see what it looks like. They see it in us. It's not us doing good works It's us being used of good works of God. It's like a tractor beam that he leads us to. And we hear his voice and we will not follow that of a stranger. Most of the time we apply that voice. Well, that's being when I'm tempted to do something evil. Folks, it's in the ordinary every day that we surrender our life to God and we seek his voice. And when we hear it, we won't follow that of anything else or other than God. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his sake. He leads beside the still waters. He restoreth our souls. The Lord of hosts is with us. Folks, there's no people on the earth but the children of God that can have the Lord of hosts with us. I remember when I was little, my uh, great-grandfather Phillips, he was Native American, at least three-quarters we know. He was the son of a Welsh missionary, great-great-grandson of a Welsh missionary that came to the United States back in the early 1700s. And my grandmother, she was Native American too, my great-grandmother Phillips. And whenever they would come to my house, it was just like the biggest thing in the world because a little boy, cowboys and Indians was everything, and I got to go pull all of my friends, and I was the most famous kid in the neighborhood. I said, come meet my Indian great-grandma and grandpa. You know, and they would come see him, and they would... See that, yeah, they are the real thing. But boy, they love God. I'm going to share a little story with you. The Lord will help me. That same grandfather is the first memory I have of anyone trying to witness to me about God. He had lost a leg to diabetes. He loved sugar, put it on everything. <laughs> loved fat, got it all off everybody's plate. He's an old farmer type. Y'all know the type, big man, built a lot like me, except a lot heavier. And uh, he pulled me up on his one good leg. He had lost a leg to diabetes, and he began to open. He opened a great big old Bible, large print. And he started reading to me the story of David and Goliath, and he started talking about David's relationship with God and how. And I don't remember much. I was so young, but he had this Welsh term that was a corrupted Welsh term translated into English. And he said, "Son, don't trust those new layers." What he meant in his lifetime he was born in 1875, he had sent people coming down saying they represented God in his church, coming into the little Baptist churches of the Appalachian Mountains or in that northern part of Alabama, and trying to present a God that he did not know and did not know the voice of that God. And it disturbed him. And he was very lovely and accepting of all people. But he had an intolerance to people who proclamated an untruth about God and his gospel. He said in the center of the county that he lived in, God had blessed him. I think he was the second man in his county back in the early 1900s to have an automobile, which was a really unusual feat for a Native American back then. And the county roads crossed, but they didn't cross directly around his land. They had to go around one side. But all the people that loved him and knew him and he had great respect, he had been a blacksmith, farrier his whole life, he would let them cut across the backside of his lot to make a shortcut to save about a mile. But my great-aunts told me he had one intolerance. These preachers, the carpet-bagger preachers had come out of the seminaries down in the South. And folks, if I'm offending you and saying this, I can't apologize, because it's the truth. But there were some people who defended this truth, this thing that I'm preaching. And they loved it. There's still some of us that still love us today. Let's not water it down. Let's run back to it with everything we've got. Our nation needs it. The people of God need it. Our children need it. If you have any love towards your family and your friends, you love God, you put him first and let him worry about them because he'll take good care of them. But he would get out his double-barrel shotgun and he would warn those people off his land. They weren't allowed on it. He told them to get their bags and go back north where they came from. See, I've got some southern roots. but he loved God, and he tried to tell me, and he warned me, don't believe them new-wayers. He tried to tell me God's plan of salvation. I was too young, but I still remember the feeling and the emotion and the desire and the love he had for me as his oldest grandchild on that branch of the family and the hope and the desire he had for me. And he came from a long line of Welsh Baptist ministers in this country that had educated him well as a Native American. He he was profoundly intelligent on many subjects, well-read, But he loved God, and that was the power of his life. And he was very faithful to his church. And I know I've went long, but i got something else i got to do tonight. I had been rocked in the Baptist cradle my whole life. I'd been taken to church. Both my grandfathers were preachers. My grandfather, Mike Froge, he had been a pastor in many churches in Kentucky, southern Indiana. And uh, we were in a revival at a granddaughter church of the church I grew up at, Friendship Missionary Baptist Church in Columbus, and we were up at a little church in Bargersville called Salem. And uh, it was just a little country church, a little white clabbered building, still had the outhouses in the back. Us kids would be scared to death to go out there in the dark. There was no light, <laughs> there, it was just dark, you know. Sometimes somebody would have courtesy on us and turn on the car headlights so we could see something very special happened that little old church house. We went on a Friday night and I was sitting back in the house with my friends and I heard something. I felt something. Having been around the gospel my whole life, I had seen the saints shout. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but I mean it would be so palpable and so real of the presence and voice of God that you would just feel the hair stand on the back of your head even as children. And I would just keep playing with what I was doing and just going, yep, they're going crazy again tonight, you know. <laughs> I miss those days. But God was speaking in my heart. Some, for some reason, what that preacher said that night meant something different to me. I've heard enough of your testimonies. You know what I'm talking about. It got a hold of me. I sit there with him and I was glued and the next night I came back and, and I had to get away from him. I had to understand more about this God and the way of salvation and how I could get peace in my heart and how I could escape hell. But somehow or another in that second night it became something more than just me escaping hell. I saw a beautiful holy God who I was unrelatable to in my current condition that I was a sinner and unclean and undeserving of his wonderful grace. And I'm like, how could it be? the little eight-year-old boy who can't speak, who can't read, that all the kids call dummy. He could love me. I didn't have very much confidence in myself. I had my wonderful grandparents that loved me. Oh, I had a great, my grandmother Thompson. Nobody loved me like she did. My parents loved me, but my grandma really loved me. She accepted me just as for who I was. She was so proud of me. I couldn't wait to go spend time with them and be in their home because it seemed like the only peace I had in my life where somebody didn't demand something of I it. Mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. When it seems like the whole world just wants something from you and you just need to be loved, well, that's our God. That's our God. He can meet you there. You don't have to be old to feel that way. You don't have to be young to be that way. Some of us are old, too old for a lot of things, and some of us are too young for a lot of things, seemingly. But God knows. I'll try to hurry this story up. The next morning, we went to church service, and the Lord just wasn't dealing with me. I really expected him to be, but he wasn't. And I said, well, Lord, if you'll get me back there tonight, I'd said the night before, I I will seek you. And then the time came, and I didn't want to go. I put up a fight with my parents, and that was very unusual for me, but the Lord was really troubling me. We went back that night, and my grandfather actually left the service with the pastor because God had led on their heart to go see a man that they had been working with for a long time who had been seeking God. Now, that sounds weird, doesn't it? But, folks, that's the voice of God. You know what? The saints went on. They they sung, and they sung the old hymns of Zion, and they prayed, and they testified, and it was powerful. And finally, one of the friends of my mother, older saintly lady, and then she looked over at my mother. And that night, I was so terrified, I went and sat right beside my mother. And, and I saw her look over at my mom, and I said, Oh, no, they know. <laughs> I had one of those kind of mothers that kind of stayed on you about things, you know. Finally, she leaned over me and said, Steve, are you lost? I shook my head. I said, No. And then I felt even more condemned because I just lied to my mother. So I'm going to hell now and then she leaned back and she said Steve if you are just seek the Lord go to the altar if you want to we had uh, an expression there a lot of churches do a lot of old baptisms it's not necessary but we always had a mourner's pew up in the front and, and it was a tradition that people could go there and pray and, and you can pray anywhere important thing is that you make an altar before the Lord and you seek him and you're not ashamed of him and I said, Lord, I can't even stand up. And as soon as I said that, somehow or another, I stood on my feet, and I ran down the front of that church, and I bowed before God. I wasn't bowing before men. I was bowing before my Almighty God. And I poured out my little eight-year-old heart with everything I knew to do. I wasn't very there very long, maybe 10 minutes. Might have been a little longer. I don't know. But I promised God everything I knew try to be good. I would do this. And I I knew I was lying. I knew I wasn't going to do any of those things, most likely, but I got very earnest. And I finally said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And if you don't save me, I'm just going to have to die and go to hell because you're the only way I have to get there. Those aren't magic words to use. It's the condition of your heart that God's looking at. But somehow or another in the midst of that prayer, I mean, the heavens opened up, And it was like I was in a trance with God and suddenly something came in I had never known in my little riddled body on uh, medication to help me with my panic attacks and everything that I went through. And I had this old voice came back to me that was so common. Well, that's not it. That's not it. You don't want that. And I'm like... And then I realized that was that old deceiver trying to keep me from the joy that God wanted me to have. And I said, Satan, get behind me. I didn't really never know what that meant. I heard it said many times in church, but I knew it firsthand that evening on Sunday night when I was eight years old. And I began to rejoice because I realized the peace And all that shame and that guilt and that condemnation and that conviction had just rolled off of me. And I stood before my almighty God just and clean and holy. I leaned over my mother. She was praying next to me. The church had gathered around me praying. That's a beautiful sight, folks, when we as the church can pray together. Asking God, beseeching. Not ashamed of that one bit. I said, Mom, the Lord just saved me. She said, Son, are you sure? And I said, Yes, Mom, I am. And the joy that was just beaming over me, this countenance of this child was just significant, and everybody knew it. something happened. And they said, Well, are you? My mother said, They said, Do you want to say something? And in my shyness, I shirked back and said, No, I don't want to call any attention to myself. But toward the end of the service, I could not hold back what God had done for me. And on the way home, I was like, I got to call Grandma and Grandpa. I got to call Grandma and Grandpa Froge. I got to tell everybody what God's done with me. Mom limited my phone calls to a few because it was late. I got to school the next day, and Mrs. Roop, beautiful lady, uh, my teacher had seen me through a lot, tried to really understand what was going on with me. And I said, Mrs. Roop, God saved me last night. She said, Steve, I don't know if I understand what you're saying. My heart sank i said lord i can't even tell anybody what you've done for me i didn't realize in 1972 the word saved didn't register with most people in this country and she was roman catholic so that had no bearing with her at that time i'm sure but i thought she was talking about my speech impediments i had 20 of them they were severe at least 20. i couldn't even say my name correctly i couldn't say Uh, a T before a silent H. I couldn't say Thompson. I said Homsen. And and so everybody would look at my mom and dad when I spoke and they would translate. It was just that bad. Except my grandparents. They knew exactly what I was saying. (laughs) That same piece that he gave me that night did not go away. It came along and said, my child, don't worry. Take refuge in me. I'm going to take care of it. I went on, played with the kids, went through that day. I went to music class. A few of the kids had asked me before, Steve, are you saved? And they were taking a census of how many kids in my third grade class were saved in music class because we all came together in one large music class. And that day, they looked at me and they started, they said, Steve, and they said, Steve, you're saved. They could see the change in me and the countenance and they rejoiced. And you say, they were just eight or nine year olds, but they knew the Lord. They knew the change. It witnessed in me. I went on through my classes. I was in the lowest reading class, could barely read anything. I had dyslexia, and they didn't know what that was back then. I went back years later, and they said, oh, Steve. Yes, when they started teaching us these things a few years later, after you had moved out of our school, we all looked at each other, all three of my teachers, and said, Steve Thompson. You know, they said, that's him. And anyways, uh, I... Uh, I went on to Wednesday, I know this is a long story, and and you you may have trouble believing this, but I want you to know who my God is. I want you to know how personal he is. We try to put him in a little box. He's different for every one of us in different phases of our life. I went on to my speech therapy class with Dr. Lovejoy. It happened right after lunch, during recess. And I don't know why that's significant for me to tell you, but that just is. That was my week was an eight-year-old, something I'd been doing for three years, every day didn't expect anything to be any different that day than any other day, but I had peace. Dr. Lovejoy always started with me third out of the three kids in that class had been going for three years, and I thought that was strange. I wanted to tell him what God had done for me, but I didn't get a chance first word he asked me to say, I didn't repeat it. I didn't say it three times, I didn't struggle, I said it right the first time. That proceeded for the next few minutes through all 20 of my major speech problems. He sat back in his chair and he looked at me and he said, Steve Thompson, what happened to you? And I said, Dr. Lovejoy, I tried to tell you, God saved me last night. And he said, that explains everything. This was a scientific man, a doctor of speech pathology. And he began to rejoice because that was more precious to him than my ability. And he knew it was God that had healed me. He said, I've never seen anything like it in all my years. And he began to witness to the other two children in my class about the peace that they could have with God. No matter if God ever healed them of their speech impediments, he wanted them to have that. Folks, that is the witness and testimony of the voice of God in our life. I'm so glad that God put these people in my life. Folks, you and I get to be that. We get to be in somebody's world some representation of God's voice. He speaks through us. He speaks to us in many ways, but it's powerful and it's palpable in people's lives. Do you believe that he can use you that way? Do you believe by just being obedient to the least little bit that God can spend his power to lost people that you love. I had a young lady that I was in service here with recently and uh, well I actually preached her funeral excuse me but when she was a young girl her sister related to me her testimony and she had been a previous member of the church I pastor now but all that happened she hadn't got to go to church much her life she had a aunt or uncle uh, aunt that had taken them to a little baptist church and kentucky and and they were went and they were just first night she was there she was just i mean the holy spirit just grabbed hold of her but way it happened was there was an older gentleman in the congregation he didn't know her but god told him to go back and just shake her hand now today we're told you shouldn't do that A young child and an older gentleman but he was full of love didn't say anything But she said when he did that, the Holy Spirit convicted her so heavily. And his presence was so great that she couldn't get any rest that night. And she struggled and prayed and sought God. And by morning time, she knew him. She had been saved. Her sister got saved the next day, too. They both had joined the church and were baptized. Folks, it can be so simple. So simple. We we think that we have to be exhaustive. What does a sinner really need to know? He needs to know he needs God. That's as simple as it gets. And they have to know that they really need him. And the only way that they can have him is he gives them that gift that they need. Children really don't know how to earn things. You know, that's been demonstrated to me many times. You ask them to do things, they do it halfway. They'll never meet the measure usually that you want. And the few times they do. God, folks, that's the way he looks at us. They'll never complete it. They'll never get it right. They'll never be holy and righteousness. So I'm going to give them mine. God bless you tonight with men.